Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hey guys, welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today I'm sitting down with Chad Bartlett. How you doing, man? Doing good, RJ. How are you, man? Oh man, just another day in paradise. Uh, we are getting prepared to go down to San Antonio, Texas later, either later this evening or tomorrow morning for the Ground Zero event with Quentin Flores. So super excited for that. Uh, but I want to give a backstory to, to how this interview came about because uh, I just, I think it's cool. You know, so uh, a previous guest, Nathan Brooks, uh, go back probably 50, 60 episodes ago. He was a guest on the show and uh, he posted on Facebook yesterday. Hey, I've got I got my good buddy, Chad. Um, he's got an incredible story and he's looking to get on some podcasts. And, you know, I, I looked this morning, I think there was like 50 or 60 comments on that post, people trying to get you on. And, and I told you this morning, I'm super excited because I'm the first one that got you. Right. And, that's, That's kind right. of like the, the speed is like the name of the game in real estate investing. So I was like the first appointment. I, I got that contract before anybody else could get it. So <laughs> I'm getting this, I'm getting this interview out before anybody else gets you. So, uh, but yeah, man, you've got an incredible story. So I kind of want to just turn it over to you and, and tell everybody a little bit about, you know, your background in real estate investing and how you got started. Yeah, man. Happy to share my story with you. Uh, grateful for Nathan for the introduction, man. And uh, like you, like you said, it's a good analogy to the real estate world, man. Right. Be hungry, be hungry, and be first. You know, with me, my story in real estate started in Alaska. I was working as an auto mechanic, working sixty plus hours a week, and I had two kids at the time, and I was just trying to add more hours to my day. And uh, I went to college for a little bit, actually, at the University of Alaska, Anchorage. And I know you have a connection to Alaska, too. You're, you're crushing it there in Alaska doing some Yeah, deals. yeah. So I, I love Anchorage. I've been up there one time. We have a branch up there. And first and foremost, it's one of the most beautiful places on the planet. I yes. mean, just I loved it. Uh, I fell in love with the people there. Um, and, and to be honest with you, it's one of the easier markets uh, to find good deals and to, to rehab houses. So it's one of our top uh, flip markets right now that we're focusing on. So I, I love, you're going to be the second guest I've ever had that has any kind of connection to Anchorage, Alaska. So I'm okay. super excited about that. That's awesome, man. I, I, um, I, I don't know anybody else that was able to, to do it in Alaska, man. So that's awesome. And it is beautiful every day. The sunlight off of the mountains makes the sky look different every single day, man. I, yeah. I really enjoyed living there. Um, but I wasn't as smart as you, RJ, man. I couldn't make it work in Alaska. I was trying to figure it out. You know, I went to, a, I went to college to try to get free of my mechanics job. And they told me that, you know, if I went to school and got my master's and my PhD and did unpaid internships, which didn't make any sense at all, since I had two kids, I can't work for free. Right. I would equal my pay as a, as a mechanic. And so I was like, I got to figure something else out. And I started doing, doing real estate, uh, deals, trying to figure out wholesale, but I couldn't figure out Alaska, man. I couldn't crack that nut. And, um, and so I started shifting my focus to Kansas City. Uh, that's okay. a place that I knew in my adult life. And I started uh, just putting marketing out there. It's funny, RJ, because I was at a real estate event. And it seems like the simplest thing in the world now. But this guy said, don't keep focusing on what's not working. And, you know, when you're in the foxhole and you're in the trenches, you, it's hard to pick your head up sometimes and look around and say, does any of this even matter? Right. You know, is, is this working? 
but I was grinding in Alaska for six months and not doing anything. And I was yeah. like, I gotta do, I gotta do something different. And so 30 days later, after making the plunge in Kansas city, I did my first deal. And, and three months later, I was able to quit my mechanics job and just be able to try to spend more time with my family. And that's yeah. kind of how things I want started. to go back and touch on the fact that you said it wasn't working in Alaska and for those people that might be in random locations and, and as the, the podcast host, I have the benefit of seeing where people actually listen to the podcast and we have people, I've got, I've got one guy in Sweden. He listens to every episode. I got one guy in Spain. He listens to every, or, or girl, I guess it could be a, a woman. Somebody listens in Sweden, Spain. We've got Montana, uh, Vermont, Maine, all these random locations. And I see them on every single episode they listen. So if you're listening, I'd love for you to reach out to me and, and tell me who you are. But some of these random locations, you know, we, we're blessed to have a branch in Hawaii and Alaska. And, and I have to, to agree with you. Wholesaling is really difficult in those markets. And I think it has to do with the fact that there's just not a lot of wholesalers and the, 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 buyers, the investors that you would try to sell to, they don't understand what you're doing. It's kind of like, what? are you a realtor? Like, why are you telling me I have to put non-refundable earnest money down? I'm supposed to have an inspection period. They just don't really understand it. And that's why we primarily flip in those two markets. So I just want to throw that out there. That like, this is, I, I don't blame you for struggling to wholesale in Alaska because Trust me, man, we've tried a couple of times and we've fallen flat on our face when it comes to wholesaling as well, uh, specifically in Anchorage. So I understand where you're coming from. Dude, I hear you 100%, man. And, and, and I was so new, too. I didn't really know. I thought, you know, MLS, all I was looking for is MLS deals. Mm -hmm. And as my business progresses, I know that that's not really where the cream of the crop is. So I was just so young and I, just, I, I couldn't figure it out, man. But, you know, case in point, I have a similar story in Alaska when I was trying to get started there was a, a shark uh, real estate agent. I saw him on all the billboards and I saw him on TV commercials and stuff. And I reached out to him and I said, hey, um, I'm, I'm doing real estate. I'm kind of new to it, but I'm searching for deals. And I know that you've got a, probably a great buyer's list of people that are looking for deals. And uh, as soon as I get a deal under contract, I'd love to kind of send it your way and you can bring some buyers across and, and maybe I can give you $500. Um, referral fee or something. You know, I didn't, that, that sounds like a real newbie talking, right? Right, right. So this is what he said to me. I remember the longest pause on the phone. You know you're nervous talking to a new buyer when you're brand new anyways. Right, right. And then as soon as he starts talking, he was like, um, let me tell you how real estate works. And like, <laughs> my just dropped. He was like, I get 3% commission on every house that I sell. Why would I take $500 to bring you buyers? And I was like, okay. Right. You know, get off the phone, lick, lick my wounds and adjust as we always do, man. But yeah, uh, uh, Alaska is a different animal, man. That's, sure. so that's hilarious, man. And I, look, if you're newer and you've recently had one of those conversations, just understand that we've all had those conversations. Like right, I remember getting schooled on my first three or four contracts by buyers. Like, do you even know what you're trying to sell? Let me explain the numbers to you. Like, this is the way it's supposed to go. and and you do, you almost want to like quit, right? Where it's like, man, maybe this just isn't for me. This isn't what I was taught. I was taught that this is how this is supposed to go. Because I'm sure someone told you to, to offer the $500 to the realtor, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. So, and it, it doesn't work, you know, but in some markets it does. 
for some realtors at worst, maybe not the guy that's on all the billboards and the commercials as the top dog, but maybe a newer realtor that does work, you know? So it, it, it's crazy. So let's talk about Kansas City. So you, you get down to Kansas City. Are you virtually wholesaling from Alaska or did you move to Kansas City? That's right, man. I was just doing my first deals in Alaska, in Kansas City from Alaska. I didn't know about the term virtual wholesaling, remote investing. I didn't know what other, any of that really meant. I never heard those words before until much later. But my whole business was built on me out of necessity, just grinding to try to find deals so I could spend more time with my family and just build the lifestyle that I wanted to get away from, from the mechanics job. Um, so it was just me putting out marketing and, and trying to build a small team of boots on the ground out there that could help me, um, look at deals, take pictures of deals, show deals for me. And that's really how the birth of my real estate investment company started. It wasn't until after I did enough deals that I was able to quit my mechanics job, um, that I decided that we pack up everything that we have and, and move to Kansas city and just be closer to my business. When you were first getting started, what form of marketing were you doing? Was it direct mail, cold call? What were you doing there? This was super budget, 2011. Um, I don't know that cold calling was mentioned in 2011, man. I was, <laughs> I'll tell you a site that you probably haven't thought about in a while was Craigslist. That's how I started. Nice. That's how I started my first deal was just blitzing Craigslist. Um, every hour I was checking it. I was refreshing the page for sale by owner. I was going to be the first one to reach out to these people. And I was just focused on that, man, refreshing the page, refreshing the page, you know, call whatever I could do to try to get a hold of them and set up appointments so that I can have my boots on the ground, check it out and, and get the deals. That's a slow grind when you're first getting started, but man, Hey, looking back at it, I think we've all had these moments. I remember a moment where there was like one day where, you know, we were probably strapped for cash, whatever. And we were just getting started. And I remember I went to a Barnes and Noble here in Fort Worth, Texas. And, and I was like, I am going to contact every single deal on Craigslist. That's how I'm going to get a deal today. And, and you know what, at the time it was so frustrating because like 95% of them were wholesalers. And then finally I found the one, you know, motivated seller that needed to sell and the reason why they were on craigslist is because they had been shot down by realtors they were like hey your house is in too bad a condition to list it so they just went to what they knew which was craigslist and we were able actually to solve that problem and it turned out to be a great wholesale deal so you know hey there, there's nothing wrong when you're first getting started the that craigslist grind you know so that and that was in 2015 so i was four years after you uh, on the on the Craigslist grind there. So once you moved to KC, you started building up a team. What did that look like? Yeah, I'll tell you. I actually did the opposite, RJ. Man, I um I I made a big mistake of turning into the everybody guy. You know, when I got to Kansas City, I decided that I'd do everything myself. Nice. Um, you know, I kind of took a step backwards. I didn't realize it was a step backwards, but I was just being cheap and trying to save some money, RJ. So. What I did was I, I was doing literally everything in my business and my business at that time struggled more than anything. Right. You know, I told myself now that I can quit my mechanics job, I can dedicate 100% of myself to real estate and really grow this thing up. But what I did was I was just replacing, replacing the hours worked as a mechanic with these hours trying to get these deals. And I was doing everything myself, man. So I actually made a big mistake and things got kind of tough for me in the beginning. Um, before I realized that I need to duplicate myself and get back to what made me successful. And that was delegation and putting some systems in place that could really help me grow my business. 
Um, is so that yeah. also because you felt like you were the best at each individual activity or was it also because as you know visionary ceos i think we all have a little bit of a control freak problem were those kind of some of the issues that that led to that decision rj you know me you know that's <laughs> like um that's it exactly rj man it's it's all of those things you know one nobody cares about the business the way that i i care about it yep. two nobody can do as good of a job inside my business as i can do you know and exactly i was afraid to let go of those pieces in my business yep. and 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 that's what really makes you grow slow <laughs> but I th again going back to this i think at some point in time it, it's natural to have that realization that sure maybe if your sole responsibility was acquisitions then yeah you might be the best acquisitions manager for your company or even for some things like me that took me a really long time to like release to other people were bookkeeping and accounting i know this sounds stupid right it's like what are you talking about why would i i, I don't even like it i don't even understand accounting let's start with that okay i don't even know why i thought i was the best but it was just like hey i don't want to spend the money to turn that over to somebody i don't want them looking at my books you know and so i kept these things and then it realized hey I'm making some really bad mistakes for my company because I don't have the time, the knowledge or the bandwidth to actually take care of these things. So you talked about that was a really bad decision for your company. How bad did it get before you realized, Hey, what was like the breaking point for you where you were like, Hey, I have to make a change here. RJ, you're going deep, man. <laughs> I got to tell you, man, it was like the, one of the low points in my life was, working in real estate and then realizing that the deal flow is inconsistent because of your efforts. I mean, when I started, I was just on a streak and I, I thought I was untouchable and it felt like somebody just turned the faucet off RJ. And I was like, I, I got to figure out something different, increase my marketing, grind, 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 grind some more, hustle some more. And it's like, I was stuck in this hamster wheel, no matter what I was doing was helping me grow any, any bigger RJ. So, I had to bite the bullet. I had to have a, a tough conversation with myself and my wife and say, look, I know that I can crush it in real estate, but I just need some more money coming in. I'm going to take a job interview to see if I can get this mechanics job. Mm. Let me just go back to mechanics. I'll work it during the weekday, but I'll crush real estate in a weekend. And I, I freaking humbled myself, man. And I took that job interview and RJ, man, that's the worst experience in the world. Listen, when you're a mechanic, you're a mechanic and there's nothing wrong with that. It's amazing. Or a machinist right. or you're working in the office job, man, there's nothing wrong with that. But once you make a shift to start working for yourself and you're doing okay, and then happen to go back to that life, man, that's the hardest thing in the world, man. That was such a humbling experience for me. And I would just sit in there in the interview knowing I had to get this job, but I didn't want this job. And that was on a Friday. On a Saturday, RJ, my wife was teaching childbirth education classes because that's her passion. And I was hanging out with my two little girls at the house. And I got a call from a buyer who wanted to see one of these houses that I had under contract that nobody wanted. Right. And um, he said, hey, man, do you want to um, show me this house? I'm interested in it. It was on a lockbox, RJ. He could have went to, to, to open it up himself. But I was like, man, if he wants me there, I'm going to be there. And he was like, um, I was like, I got kids. You know, are you OK if I bring them? And probably some of your listeners are like, Chad, that's a, that's a horrible idea. You don't want to bring your kids to a vacant house. 
um, fixer upper. But that's what I did, man. When you need the money, you just kind of figure out a way to make it happen and do what Absolutely. you have to do. So I met this buyer at the house and my kids are fighting and running up this hallway and it's all echoey because it's a vacant house. <laughs> but I was able to work out a deal with the buyer where I followed him over to his house and got the assignment fee that day. Nice. And I, and I, and at that day, on that day, it's like, a, it was like a lifeline. You know, when you're running low on money and then you get a cash infusion, it's like oxygen. It's like you could breathe again for a little bit. And I told my wife in that moment, I said, you know, I feel like God has blessed us with a, a second chance to reevaluate this business and what my priorities are. And um, that's when I made the decision, RJ, that, you know, I can only do so much myself. I, I need to get rid of my ego. I need to shed that and say, I need some help. I can't right. do everything myself. You know, I'm one person. There's no way that I can grow my business with any consistency if I'm the person that's doing it all. Um, so that's when I made a big shift in, in the way that my business was run, RJ, was, was, was that low point in my life. So when you were doing everything, and, and I talk about this all the time, so if you've heard me talk about this before on the podcast, you can roll your eyes and be like, RJ always says this, but I'm trying to beat it into your head because – you know, Chad and I already paid the dumb tax, right? Like we've already done this. So we're trying to teach you guys to not make the same mistakes that we made. Did you see that there was like a roller coaster to your business where it was like acquisitions and then you had to stop acquisitions to do dispositions. And then when you did dispositions, you had a ton of money, but then you spent all the money because then you had to go back into the acquisitions. That's a hundred percent, RJ. Yeah. Man, it was it, it's what I classify as the roller coaster effect. Man, it's the highs and the lows, because you're giving yourself the you're you're putting your attention in places that are kind of low level and not really the highest and best use of your time. Right. I really really love this quote by Tim Ferriss, and he said, you know, if 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 your worth is twenty to twenty five dollars an hour, and we know that everybody in our real estate business will worth a lot more than that, but you know, to paraphrase Tim, he said, if, you're, if your worth is 20 to $25 an hour and you're doing some tasks that you could pay somebody $10 an hour to do, you're not being at the best use of business resources. And that's the thing, man. If I'm the CEO in my business, why am I, why am I formatting a spreadsheet for cold calls? Why am <laughs> I doing that? You know, that doesn't make any sense. Right. If, if Bill Gates is running his business, he's not answering the phone when somebody wants to buy Microsoft products. Right. It doesn't make sense that we do that in our business too, RJ. Absolutely. So, all right, you talked to your wife. You said, hey, we need to make some changes. This is our second lifeline. What changes did you make right away? I had to ask myself some questions because it was an opportunity for, for me to disassemble my business. And so I said, if I could rebuild my business exactly how I want it to be, what would, what would that ideal business be? And so the first question I had to start with, what do I hate doing? What do I just dislike doing the most? And it was phone calls. And phone calls robbed so many hours with my, with my kids. You know, whenever that thing buzzed or beeped or made any kind of a sound, my attention shifted immediately to give it 100% to the phone instead of my kids. If I'm at the dinner table and the phone rings, I got to excuse myself because I can't miss a deal. I got to catch every call. Right. So I said, man, if I could outsource one thing, it's got to be calls. If I was not attached to my phone, I'd be happier. And uh, that was the first thing that I, that I got off of my plate was phone calls. And it was tough, man. I had a lot of fear, you know, like going back to what you were saying before, nobody could do it like me. And how silly that sounds now, right? Nobody could, nobody could uh, ask these sellers questions as good as I asked these right. questions. Nobody can prep these sellers, but, but that's what my mindset was. But I, I said, you know what, if I, if I, if I want to make a change, 
I got to do it. You know, I got to get rid of something. And so that was calls for me, man. I got a call center. I was able to give them a script. I check up on them to make sure that they're doing what I wanted them to do. And, um, and once I got rid of that first piece, RJ, it was like the same thing you feel when you do your first deal. If you get one deal, that's proof of concept that it works and you could get a hundred deals. Right. And by me letting go of that one thing inside my business, it was proof of concept that I didn't go bankrupt. I didn't fall flat on my face. My business wasn't run to the ground because I let somebody take my phone calls. And it was proof of concept that I could do it over and over again. So that's really where it started for me. So on the call center, was that VAs or was it local in, in-house? It was local. My very first call center that I used was Pat Live. Gotcha. And, I, and I liked their gimmick because no matter who answered the phone, if it was a guy or a girl, they answered the phone call. Hey, this is Pat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people, I, I, Pat Live was a big deal a couple of years ago. I haven't heard many people talk about it now. Do you still use them now? No, I don't use them anymore, man. I use, an, I use another call center, man. Do you want to give them a plug? Yeah, go ahead. So I use a call center called Nexa. Uh, they used to be called Answer One and they shipped over to Nexa. And the reason why I shifted over to that call center is because they make outbound calls too. One of the things that was important to me is when somebody is searching the, the, the internet and they come across my website, they're filling out my form, mm -hmm. but I'm not egotistical to think that I have the world's best website. And after they fill out the form, they're just going to sit there and wait for me to contact right. them. As soon as they fill out my form, they're going to go to the next website and the next website and the next website. And I wanted to disrupt that pattern. And so this call center Nexa. They get uh, a notified when somebody fills out one of my forms and they reach out to them within the first five minutes and it disrupts that pattern of them just going on the website, filling out forms. So you said first five minutes and that is something that we, that's a rule of thumb for our company as well. Um, that's something we learned from Investor Carrot, you know, Trevor Mock, he, he kind of preaches that at Investor Carrot and it's something that we implemented and our highest close rate on a lead is from going to our website because we're hitting them immediately before they can find somebody else website to go to just like you're talking about because inevitably that's going to be what they're doing right so um it's very important that you hit them you know i start screaming literally if i see it i'm like five minutes who's on the phone you know uh and, and those are the most fun leads to be honest with you because they're super motivated so we love those leads more than anything that's right, um, so, you so you hired a call center. Go ahead. Because you didn't go hunting for them. They right. reached out to you, and that's why those are the most valuable. Absolutely. So you hired the call center. What else did you kind of do to transition your business after that? The next thing that I transitioned was a virtual assistant. I said, look at all these low-level day-to-day tasks that really aren't a good good use of my time. Right. I don't need to be doing these things. And, and this is when I started understanding virtual assistants and and all the help that they can provide. Um, so that next step was hiring a VA and just taking off those day-to-day -day activities. And my business had shifted to me now doing the sales and doing the closing on the phone. That's, that's where my business had shifted after I got rid of those things. Gotcha. And when you say you were doing the, the closings on the phone, were you still, were you going on appointments as acquisitions or were you trying to close over the phone? Yeah, it, actually early on in my business, I was still going on appointments and closing them and then, and then we shifted. Um, we've had so many different lives. If I look at my business and life cycles, <laughs> there's been so many different life cycles and versions of my business to get me to where I am now. 
But at that point in time, man, a lot of windshield time, a lot of windshield time yeah. for me going to appointments and, and meeting face to face. I said, man, if I could get in front of the sellers, they got to do a deal with me. All I need is, I just need to get my foot in the door. You know, right. that's where I was at that point in my business. You know what? But a lot of newer people feel that way, right? They feel like they have to go to the house yeah, and that's going to give them a better chance. And I think that comes from lack of experience and confidence in yourself. Uh, because personally for me, I, if, if you had to say, RJ, uh, we're going to give you a lead right now. How are you going to close it? Um, I want to close it right now. Like I don't want any barriers of entry to come along the way. And one of those biggest barriers of entry is uh, the time in between setting the appointment and then showing up to the appointment. Because I learned that the hard way where there were so many times where it was, I talked to somebody Thursday morning and they say, my first availability is Saturday morning. And I'm like, okay, we'll see you Saturday morning. And then they call me Friday afternoon and they're like, hey, we're going to have to cancel. Why is that? Oh, I, I, I sold the house to someone else. Yeah, and then I just started scratching my head and I'm like, but you said you didn't have any availability. Oh, yeah, they, they did it all over the phone. They made me an offer and I accepted it and I signed the contract. And then it kind of like the light bulb went off. And I'm like, why didn't I do that? Why did I feel like I had to go to the house? Uh, I, I actually would have paid them a little bit more for the house, you know, and it was just those crazy feelings that I had and just realizing that I wasn't doing a very good job of asking the right questions and getting down to solving the problem. Right. So when you made that change and you started closing things over the phone, uh, did you, did you continue to do that or did you start building an acquisitions team for yourself? At first I, I did it myself and then I realized that I'm on the phone again. Right. That's not what I wanted in my business. I don't want to be the guy on the phone again. So then I, I did. I transitioned out of that. And um, I just I knew that I was good at, at on the phone, but I, I didn't have any disillusion that I was the best. I knew that there was people that were absolute savages at sales. Right. And, and that, that was never really comfortable for me. I did it out of necessity, RJ. I, I did it because my business needed the deals closed, but I, it was never really super comfortable for me to be the person that was closing the deals. And so um, the next evolution for my business was to outsource that to acquisitions. And now I have a dedicated negotiations team. Um, that's all they do is, 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 is I give them the offer range and they go out and, and they try to close it. So one of the biggest, I shouldn't say biggest, but a debate amongst wholesalers operations. Okay. Do acquisitions also do dispositions or is that two separate positions? In my business is two separate positions for sure. Why did you make that decision? Because I wanted somebody that was specialized in their specific area and I didn't want them to be doing more than what they were the best at. You know, it's the same thing um, for me. You know, I don't want to do more than what is my niche. If somebody's acquisitions, that means that they're really good at getting deals under, con doing, getting deals under contract. Right. Why do I want them to be in charge of, you know, showings for buyers and getting it down the road? when it's taking time away from other things that they could be doing to get me more deals under contract. There's somebody else that could be just fine with scheduling showings and coordinating the closing at the title company and all that other stuff, RJ. Um, you know, one of the things that I learned along the way is when, when you say no to something, you're saying yes to something else or vice versa. When you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. You know, if you're saying, 
uh, yes, I'm going to do dispositions in addition to acquisitions. You have the same time. It's logical to say that you're in that moment also saying no to your workload and acquisitions because you're taking time away from, from that grind too. It, it, it just didn't make sense. So for me, it was important to segment and break down every single you know, role inside my business so I can get the best of the best in that portion. What about you, RJ? How do you have your setup? So we do have dispositions, do some acquisitions, unless there, there is, it, it, let me rephrase that. They will do acquisitions that they have nothing to dispo. If there is a property dispo, their sole focus is on dispositions. Um, and that's just due to volume. You know, I mean, we, we do a lot of more flips than we do wholesaling. Um, and, and we're kind of shifting that back to a lot more wholesaling. So there for a while, it was like there wasn't a whole lot of dispositions there on the wholesale side of things. Um, but, you know, while you were answering, I was like, hey, I think I'm going to play devil's advocate here on why dispositions and acquisitions can be interchangeable. And then I started thinking about it and it's like, the, the, the point I wanna make here is, is that that roller coaster effect that you have when you're doing it all, you can actually create that exact same roller coaster effect for your acquisitions managers if you expect them to also do dispositions. Because that's the whole reason why we struggle, right? Is that we do acquisitions and now we have to focus on dispositions. So we take our focus off of acquisitions and that's what causes that roller coaster effect. And you could do that to your employees as well. And we don't want to do that because then they're just frustrated with their, their job. So uh, I, I actually like the fact that you have it separated there. Um, at what point in time did you hire dispositions managers in your company? I, I do want to take a step back to RJ and, and, and just go back to that as well. One of the things that's amazing about real estate is there's so many different routes and there's so exactly. many different things that work for people's businesses. You know, there's not like one hard and fast. And I know as newbies there, that's so much gray area can be confusing for them, but yep. you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways to be successful, man. Not every successful business looks exactly the same. Um, but I also agree with you, man, when you find somebody that's killing it in your business, it's easy for you to want to give them more. When right. you find that absolute stud A player, you're like, man, this person is killing it at this. I bet you they could also kill it at that. And, and that's something that's really easy to do as well. Have you seen that in your business as well? Oh yeah, for sure. And, and that was probably the biggest mistakes we made from 2018 to 2019 is continuing to increase the workload of the A players. And to the point where we made an A player a D player and they lost confidence. And as a company, we lost confidence because it was like, well, what, what changed here? You know, what, how did we go from, you know, we were just killing it to then we kind of plateaued to then we even started taking a dip. And what we saw was is, well, we went from solely being wholesaling to then we were going to flip, to then we were gonna buy rentals, to we were gonna do Airbnbs, then we were gonna do owner financing, and oh, hey, let's throw in multifamily. And then all of a sudden it was like, hold on, we're not good at anything. Like, we're, we're just really mediocre at a bunch of different strategies here. Let's slim down and refocus on the aspects of our business that we know we can be good at, and that was mainly flips, a small volume of flips, mainly one or two at a time per market, 
and then a whole lot of wholesaling. And that's kind of the reshift that we had because of the team that we knew we had and we had previously had success. Um, we knew that we could do that. But yeah, I mean, I, I, as the visionary and the CEO, I mean, I, I literally almost killed Titanium Investments just because I just wanted to run as fast as I could because exactly what you just said. Hey, I've got some A players. We can do more. And so we just tried to, I just drowned everybody. So yes, that's a great point. And you're the first person that's asked me that. So sorry, I went on a little bit rant there, but I appreciate it, man, because I think people need to hear that because we also live in a world where everybody tells you how great you are when you're really doing just kind of average things, right? You can go do like five, 10, 15 deals a month and people treat you like you're some kind of rock star, like you're the next Warren Buffett or something, you know? And and the next thing you know, you try to act that way and you can you can severely hinder your business and, and hurt the people along the way. So I appreciate you bringing that up for sure. Yeah, man, that, that resonates with me a lot, man. So I appreciate, appreciate <laughs> you saying that. Yeah, so at what point in time, going back to my question was, uh, what point in time did you actually add dispositions people to your team? Was it right simultaneous with acquisitions or a little bit after? Simultaneous with acquisitions was what? Negotiation? What was no, it? no, no. When did you add dispositions to your team? So dispositions came later. Um, you know, I was still taking things off of my plate that I was just, I, you know, I started from doing everything and then over time, piece by piece, brick by brick, dismantled my business. So, you know, acquisitions was one thing that I took off my plate and I was doing dispositions. You know, I still had that mindset. I'm a, I'm a slow learner, RJ. <laughs> I'm not the smartest guy in the world. You know, I have a thick skull. So, you That's know, funny. yeah, I took, I took acquisitions off my plate and I was doing dispositions because I was like, I, I can't give up those buyers. Right. I can't give up the access to my buyers list. That's the lifeblood of my business. You know, <laughs> I don't want to give that up. Um, so that didn't come till later that I realized like I, these people don't need me. These people don't need me to be creating these spreadsheets, these, um, these email blasts and answering the phone call, you know, so um, that, that's when I decided that I'd get rid of dispositions as well, man. It, it wasn't an overnight thing. It was just kind of a, a slow, slow burn. So I, I know the the gist of your story is that eventually you got to the point where you were hands off on your business. So how many years did it take to get to that point where you were completely hands off? Yeah, RJ, I got started in 2011. Um, my first deal was done in June 7th, 2012. And um, in, in 2017 is when I really, really felt like I had built my business the way that I wanted it to be built. Um, if I look back, I know that I had replaced my time spent in real estate, you know, as a mechanic, I replaced it with real estate. And then in 2017, I looked up and I was like, man, this is, this is cool. You know, like I said, when you're in the grind, you don't, you don't know that you don't know where you're at. It's hard to check the pulse of your business, but in, but in right. 2017, and I looked back and I said, you know what, this is cool. And then in 2018, my wife and I made the decision that, you know what, the business is good, you know, without us, you know, I check in on it, you know, you can't be an absentee parent, right? Check in on it, make sure the siblings aren't killing each other, but you know, it didn't, it didn't need me to survive. And so we decided let's go see the world, man. Like we made the decision in 2018 that we were just going to start traveling full time and give culture to our kids and just see the world. And, and that's, and that's when we made the decision June, June 1st, 2018. So what is that like six, 
six years after my first deal is when I felt like my business was ready for me to, to, to break free. So you made the decision to start traveling. What did that look like? You just started traveling the world or did you decide to move? How did, how did that turn about to where you are today? Yeah, RJ, what happened was we decided that we wanted to travel the world. We want to go to different countries. We want to spend at least a month in each country that we visit um, because we wanted to really understand the people. We didn't want to be on a lifelong vacation. We wanted to be on a cultural experience and really um, meet new people and, and just give our kids give our kids these experiences over things, right? Right. So what we did was we, we, we had this house and we, and we packed it up, you know, and we made the decision we could keep it as a long-term rental. We can Airbnb it or we can sell it. And, you know, we said it'd be a lot of work to actually get rid of everything inside this house to sell it or to long-term it. So let's short-term it. Let's turn it into Airbnb. That way we don't have to sell the furniture. We can keep a lot of stuff. I had my contractor frame out the basement so we can keep that as storage. So all the mementos we, we keep in there. And we sold everything else, RJ. We just got rid of everything else and we were free. We were like, why do we have so much, so much stuff inside here? We had just accumulated all these things and we didn't even recognize them, you know? And, right. and the shift in what our life had become, it wasn't what we wanted. I'm a simple guy, man. I don't need fancy things. I don't, my goal is not to get a Lambo. My goal is just to spend time with my family and give them experiences. So for me to have a house full of stuff, I was like, man, my, my priorities were, were wrong for what, what was important to me. So man, we we turned the air we turned the house into an Airbnb, which has been amazing. That's working out great. Right. Um, and, and then we just we we decided to travel through South America and Central America, and and that's what we've been doing since 2018. Gotcha. So do you officially live in South or Central America, or are you just staying there for a little bit? Man, RJ, I'm so non-committal, man. Like <laughs> I always have this traveler's itch that I want to keep going and keep going. But to be honest with you, we've been in Colombia um, for over a year, a year and a half, I think now. Well, we've been here for a while, man. What happened was uh, we just <laughs> found a place that we love. You know, we were doing homeschooling with the kids and, and I have four. So 24 seven with the kids, we were like, well, maybe <laughs> we can about some other schools that we could send them to and get a little break. But no, right. man, in all seriousness, it's been great. Though we, We've got home base here in Colombia. The kids are at this private school that's bilingual and all four of our kids are bilingual now. My three-year-old speaks Spanish better than me. I have to ask my wife to translate some stuff sometimes, that's man. Awesome. I'm really proud of them. The school teaches them technology and entrepreneurship and ethics. And based on how good this school is and how much we like where we are, this is kind of our home base and we do other traveling from here, but this is where we're posted up for now. So, for, for anybody that knows me personally, I have like this love affair with Iceland. Is, is Iceland ever going to be on, on the Bartlett family trip? <laughs> We've been to Iceland um, and, it's, and it's beautiful. And I would love to go back and spend some time there, man. If anybody gets a chance to go to Iceland, it's, uh, it's my top two most beautiful places I've ever seen in my entire life. And I would, I would love to get back there again too. Yeah, man. I, I, yeah, I've, I've, I've never been. Which is funny to say because I have I, I literally have like an Iceland soccer shirt that I wear. Um, I, I don't know why I call it the motherland. I'm not a, I don't know if I have any bloodlines back to Iceland, but I call it the motherland. Uh, so anytime I have a guest on that says they love traveling, I always want to ask if that's one of the places that they've been. 
Um, yeah. So that's that's incredible, man. So you you basically in six years, you you built your business brick by brick. You know, decomposed it, replaced yourself in it, and now you're in a place where you travel around and you're teaching your kids about culture. And you know, you have a three year old who's bilingual, which is amazing. Um, so where do you go from from here? What what's your goals moving forward? Um, RJ, for me. It was a shift in my consciousness because when I first got it started, got started in real estate and for the longest time in real estate, I was, I was achievement driven. You know, there's two different types of real estate investors. There's achievement driven. I want to see how big I can make this. I want to know how much I can grow. I want to know how big my talent is. What can I turn this into? And then there's the lifestyle real estate investor. You know, I just want to reach to a level where I'm comfortable and I'm, and, and then that's it. And for the longest time, I was a chip, I was achievement based, man. Right. I was, I was grinding, I was growing, you know, I want to see where I can take this thing. But as I get older, I realized that my goals have shifted and now I'm just lifestyle driven. I've, I've, I've built this thing where it rides without me and I want to make sure that it always is consistent and does good for me. But I don't have the pedal to the metal anymore trying to see how big I can grow it because that's not my goal anymore. My goal is to have predictable income and at the same time have an opportunity to share these moments with my kids, man. I, I know that life is short. There's been a series of, of moments in my life to remind me that over and over again. And, um, you know, I don't want to trade these moments for a few more deals. You know, I just I just want to be present. So where I go from here, man, is is is, is where I'm at, you know, just trying to be more, <laughs> be more mindful and be more connected and, and, and just share more. When I got started in real estate and, and as I was getting my bumps and bruises, there wasn't really a roadmap for what I've done. You know, I don't know any other trainer that is operating for enough from another country. RJ, you, you might know somebody, but for me, I don't know any other trainers that are operating their business from another country pretty much hands off while they're doing deals in, in Kansas City. So for those listeners that are listening to you from Sweden and all these other places around the country, like it's it's not impossible for you to be able to do those deals in the United States as well, man. So so that's just kind of where I'm at. Yeah, man. And and I and I want to touch base on that because you're actually the first guest that I've ever had that's actually recording from an international location. I've had people that are from Australia and Canada and other places. They, they've always been in the United States when they were recording. So you're the first person that's an international guest right now. Nice. Um, but I did uh, go back and I, I added it up the other day. Uh, this was probably two, three weeks ago. Um, and as of two or three weeks ago, this podcast has been listened to in 97 different countries. Wow, uh, which blew man. blew my mind, man. I mean, there were some countries I didn't even know existed. Uh, it was funny because I did a little post on Facebook where I put the flag emoji for each country, uh, all ninety seven of them. Then I was like, "These are all the countries that the Titanium Vault's been listening to," and uh, I didn't even know what some of those flags were. I was like, "This is cool." Um, so I, man, that's amazing. It is. And, and it's amazing what you've been able to accomplish, man. So for anybody out there that's listening in an international location, um, or even in a remote location, you know, or, or even a, a major city like Kansas city, um, what Chad is, is talking about today and what he's been able to accomplish with his business, you can replicate and it doesn't really matter. Don't, don't set barriers on yourself. 
because of location or some kind of setback. Um, obviously, you had a major barrier at the beginning, which was Anchorage, Alaska, right? It, it, wholesaling just wasn't working there. Um, you found a solution. You found a, a, a market that would work for you. And then you broke down yourself and, and you eventually replaced yourself. And now you're living a much better life. So uh, congrats to you, man. Uh, I know you've got a couple of things out there that you want people to check out. You've got a website, you've got a book, you've got a course. So here's your time to be sales pitchy. What, what you got for everybody? Thanks, RJ, man. I've, I've been blessed to be able to do a lot of um, coaching. I used to travel the country and do these events and, and spoken on a few stages and, and actually did some international things in the Caribbean and Australia and, and all around. So I do have this education portion of my business. You know, my business is, is called the autopilot life, escape the grind, own your time and finally be free. And the autopilot principles are all about how to set up your business on autopilot so that you can live the life that you want. And I know for everybody that's not necessarily for traveling the world, but maybe it's just a few extra hours for you to spend time with your loved ones or whatever, whatever freedom means to you. Right. You know, that's that time is that one thing that, that we can't really buy. You know, we have to make it a priority. And so um, at my website, the autopilot.life, um, that has a little bit more about myself. I've got a book there for all your listeners. They can download it for free. It's called The Book of Mistakes. Um, you know, on social media, sometimes it looks like it's all good 24-7. And I think for, for um, real estate investors, I think that gives us a false perception of, of, of what it looks like. You know, so I'm glad, RJ, that you took the time to talk about the grind and what my life used to be like and all the mistakes that I made. And, the lessons that I learned along the way, because I think it's easy for a lot of students to look at where we're at right now in our business and, and think that we have these special gifts. And it's just that now we've, we've made a lot of mistakes along the way that we've learned from and grown from. So, you know, I've got the book of mistakes that they can download. And also I've got my education course that is literally my business. It's my exact business that I use right now to live in South America and do deals in the United States. Every single aspect of my business from dispositions, acquisitions, you know, lead management, broken down into bite-sized pieces and, and shown how to, to how to delegate it and just help people get hours of their life back, RJ. I love it, man. Well, I'm going to tell a quick story based off of what you just said while you think about your final thoughts, okay? So we have uh, a company based out of uh, DFW here called Propelio. Um, great company. We're really good friends with the owners. Um, basically they have MLS comps. If you're not a realtor, um, lead lists, websites, all kinds of different stuff. So check out propelio.com if you want to know more about them, but they host an event here and it turned out to be one of the best real estate investing events that I've ever been a part of. Originally it was monthly and then they kind of cut it down to quarterly. And the first time we ever went, I think there was like seven, 800 people there. And, you know, Cassie and I, you know, we post regularly in the local groups, all over social media. We got the podcast. So people knew us. And, but this was like the first large event in DFW where there was that many people and we show up to it. And so many people were like, holy shit, like titanium investments. You guys are amazing. And they're like pumping us up and for like three or four hours. And by the way, there's an open bar at this event which is probably what helps with the attendance. But, you know, as people get more and more drunk, they, you know, continue to get louder and louder. And I remember Cassie and I got in the car when we left and I looked at her and I said, holy shit, these people think we're running like the perfect business. 
we better go home and figure out how to run the perfect business like if they only knew and and that's the reality of of you know 2020 social media you know you want to talk about your successes but i think it's also very important to talk about the mistakes you made let people learn from those um and just be real be who you are um some of the best responses i've ever gotten from people is like when i talk about hey man today was a tough day or hey we closed on a deal today and we lost money like that's a reality when you flip 100 houses like hey guess what you're probably gonna lose money on a deal um if not then you know congrats to you i'm not as good as you i've lost money on deals so uh with that being said chad uh final thoughts you know for all those investors um maybe it's important if you haven't thought about it before is understanding what is your hourly rate worth inside of your business and then once you really figure out what your hourly rate is, look at what your workload is and see if you're allocating the company resources appropriately. Your time is valuable and you should treat it like that. Awesome, man. Record-breaking show. Uh, first ever international guest on here. You'll forever be the first international guest on the Titanium Vault. Uh, I'm now going to go get this uh, produced and released today so I can beat all those other people that want to have you on their, on their podcast now. Uh, Chad, thanks so much for taking the time to sit down with me today. Uh, guys, if you're listening on iTunes, remember we like five-star reviews. If you want to get those less than five stars, give it to someone else. We don't like those. We only like five stars. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you give us a thumbs up, hit the subscribe and the notifications for us so you can get all the future episodes and all the other fun stuff that we release on there, behind the scenes, interviews. Dutch Jackson music videos and uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. Also our other podcast, the titanium underground short little episodes, anywhere between five to 10 minutes. So uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, that's our episode for this week, guys. We'll see y'all next week. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, RJ Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. <laughs>